checking out these cards. Oh, Edith, get me up here, huh? Well, we have no extension cards! I assume some of you are familiar with that song. The Twelve Pains of Christmas, I believe it's called. Um, kind of become a holiday classic up there in the ranks of any song that we might recognize uh, on the radio. And uh, we all kind of pause and we say, it's funny because it's true on some level, right? When we think it's, it's really easy in our, in our conversations these days, like perspective makes such a difference. And I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but, but I would bet that if we gave a list of the exact things that bring some people a ton of joy as we approach the holiday season, others would raise their hands and say, that's just what drives me crazy. I love, it's so much fun to see all the energy around shopping. It's like, oh my gosh, I just can't stand that everywhere I go, I just literally need to get some creamer. That's all I need. I just need to get some half and half. And I'm in line for 20 minutes because everybody needs to shop for everything. You know, like it might, you know, I love the lights. Oh, there's such a pain to set up. And I feel all this obligation that I'm the only one on the street that doesn't set up lights. And, and I, I see how my neighbors like look at me with all this judgment. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm speaking for you here, but I'm speaking for you because half of these things I've heard you say. Uh, and, and I feel that. And so, so it's, it's interesting that the way that we look at the holidays, the way that we look at the world, um, it, it can move in one of two directions really, really easily. You know, it can, it can be specifically hard to look at the world through a lens of hope and joy when the other option is to look at it through a lens of pessimism. And for some reason, I, don't, I, I, I think there's something in the human nature that is more willing to expect that if we've had good and bad experiences and we're, ex- we're about to hit something neutral, there's something in us that has the tendency to think that it's going to fall on the, on the bad side than on the good. We tend to anticipate things um, like we're heading for trouble. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of where we're going to start. Um, we're, we've been talking about hope, like, like Dwayne mentioned at the beginning, and specifically, what is, what is Jesus coming? How does that speak hope to us? And we've kind of talked about how, um, how the coming of Jesus speaks hope to our despair, speaks hope to loneliness, and isolation, it speaks hope to frustration, uh, and, and a host of other things that we've kind of hit. Uh, yet it is one of the foundational elements of, of Christmas. We, we always light, you know, the first candle is the candle of hope. But, um, but I think that that sometimes is the, whole, the hardest one to, to keep lit. Um, it's always the one that burns the shortest, by the way, um, because it's been lit the longest. And so it's hard to keep that, that candle from, from going out. And I think in our lives, the same thing. Um, We've just been burned a lot. And, and when we, so we're going to talk about cynicism this morning, which I know is a super hot button for a lot of us, um, because the reasons that we might have cynicism in our lives, the reason that we might look at things and say, I'm a little bit cynical, is not just because we have a bad attitude. It's because we've got really legitimate reasons for why we don't trust things or why we expect the worst sometimes. And so it's, so when we talk, I want to be really clear that, that what we're trying to explore over the next few minutes is not like cheer up and have a good chipper attitude, friends. Like that, like we're going to talk about empty optimism, but we're going to talk about crippling cynicism too. And, and we're going to talk about what Jesus hopefully, hopefully brings. Um, but, uh, but when, let's just define something quickly. So when we talk, when I mention cynicism, uh, what I'm talking about is when past harms and disappointments control 
all attitudes about the future, okay? So when past harms, all right, past disappointments, past circumstances actually control our attitudes about the future. Notice I don't say influence. I say control because our past experiences will and should influence. But something happens when our past experiences control our ability to perceive the future, all right? Um, There's this story in the first chapter uh, of, of the book of John. And by the way, the book of John does not have the story of Jesus' birth, but it has its own, it's ha- it has its own origin story, okay? So Matthew and Luke talk about how did Jesus come, and they tell about Mary and Joseph and, and all these things that happened. And John says, how did Jesus come? And John, John takes a step back, and he says, Jesus came like light in the darkness. Jesus came in a, in a way that people just couldn't grasp because goodness that pure is almost unable for humanity to be able to, to lay a hand on. So John uses all of this imagery, and it's still an origin story. It's just not a birth story, but it's an origin story of Jesus. And so early, in the first chapter of John, he sets up all this stuff. And so I was so drawn to this because of our topic. And there's this, so, so Jesus comes, and um, John foretells him a little bit. We get more of that story with Elizabeth, right, that we talked about a little bit last week, and, and she gives birth to John. Um, but John, John the Baptist kind of comes as a precursor to prepare the way to be open to the fact that God is doing something new. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and at the end of the first chapter of John, Jesus is inviting people to follow him. And it, it comes pretty easily, and we won't get into all the culture behind why and how it's so easy, like why people are so eager when Jesus says, come follow me, it's not magic, you know, but everyone's like, yes, and they just take off, and we're like, well, this is just not a realistic story. Come on. I'd be like, let me think about it for a little bit. What's it involve? But, but Jesus was a rabbi, and he was giving an opportunity to people who would not have, have, have had that opportunity. So I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> we have a whole talk on, on that, about the calling of the disciples and, um, yeah, and what it means when a rabbi would say, you know, um, come and follow me. But anyways, so he's going around, and he, and he meets James and, or, and, uh, and Peter, and, and, and then he, he meets Philip, and he says, Philip, come follow me. And Philip's like, yippee-ki-yay, here we go. And he just hops right on. And then Philip's like, hey, I've got a friend. I've got to go tell my friend that I think this is the one, the one that the scriptures have foretold. We don't know why um, Philip is such an early adopter. We just don't know. Um, but, but so anyways, so he finds his friend named Nathaniel, and he goes up and he says, Nathaniel, we found him, the one, the one who was foretold, the Messiah. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel has, I am so grateful for a guy like him, because his response is maybe the most, like, human 2022 American response I can imagine. And he's like, oh yeah, sounds promising. That's not his exact words. His exact words are, can anything good come from Nazareth? But I don't think they're filled with wonder. I don't think he goes, this amazing, from Nazareth? Praise the Lord. Philip comes up and he says, hey, I found this guy. He's from Nazareth, and I think he's the one. And Nathaniel goes, can anything good come out of that town? I've been there. I've seen it. I've eaten in their restaurants. Is one star. Like, it's not going to, like, I, I'm, I'm doubtful about this, okay? So I just love it because all of the hopes of Israel hang on this Messiah, right? And we get this classic response that I think all of us at one time or another say, probably about God and our faith, 
but certainly about lots of circumstances about life, which is, can anything good come from there? Can anything beautiful come from this coming season? I just want to get through it, right? Can anything good come from having an interaction with that family member? You know, whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, and, and so there's this classic response, I've been there, I've seen things, I'm not buying it. Um, can anything really change? And I, so it might be one of the most faithless statements in the whole Bible, which is why it's so important that it's in there. Um, because Nathaniel becomes us, and we become him. And, and so, so there's something here, but here's, here's what's brilliant. Here's what's brilliant. The response, oh, I should have put this up for you. The response, um, when, he, when he says, I've seen him, right? Um, Can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asks. I just talked us through this. And Philip's response is absolutely brilliant. Philip goes, come and see. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't say, no, let me, right here, says it. He doesn't try to convince him, he invites. He invites Nathaniel, he says, come and see. And so what ends up happening is Nathaniel, here's a check in his favor, says, all right. Now, he might have been following like, this is going to be good, right? I remember my buddy from school, he was from Nazareth. Um, you know, like, I, who knows what the attitude is, but Philip comes, I'm sorry, but Nathaniel comes with Philip. And, uh, and, and it's, it's so incredible. And this, this whole come and see, this invitation to the question of what is God doing, where is God at work, who is God, is repeated in its own way all throughout the scriptures and specifically in the birth story, right? The shepherds experience the angels' declaration. And then they say, we need to go and see Right? We, need to come, we need to come down off of this mountain, off of the hillside, and we need to go and find him. We need to, we need to, to move. It's, it's a come and see invitation, right? Um, the Magi see the star in, from, from a really long journey away, and they say, we need to, we need to come to wherever that star is we need, and see. See what, see what this is all about. The story that's being formed right here. There's this come and see all over the place. <sighs> There's a lot of ugliness in our world, so much. There's a lot of injustice, there's a lot of selfishness, there's a lot of sin, um, there's a lot of hatred, but, but in this story, there was too. <laughs> in this time, there was too, and, uh, and, and the question that Jesus invites us to, to kind of explore is, will you come and see? Will you come and, and, and find out how this might go down? Um, and, and the question then is, will we choose to just sit there and say, will, can anything good come out of this world? Can anything good come out of a religion with such an ugly and violent past? Can anything good come from a church organization? Because I've seen the harm. Can anything good happen in my messed up family, right? Can anything good emerge from a story that happened 2,000 years ago in a culture that is so different than modern-day Delaware in 2022? Can anything good come from a God that I can't see? And the ask is come and see. The invitation is come and see. And, and the reason that this is such a perfect response to our cynicism, to our experiences that jade us to the future, is that we often cannot be convinced to move beyond 
our cynicism. We can't have it explained to us. We're just weary and we're tired, and we have to experience something that restores us, not just hear it preached about. Um, so, so Phil says to Nate, we have, we have a Phil and a Nate, but I don't think Phil's here this morning, so he was going to have to play the, uh, the he was going to have to play the, the you know, straight-laced one, and Nate, you can easily play, you know, the cynical one, um, but, but anyway, so, so Phil says to Nate, hey, you want to deal with your cynicism, move somewhere, move with me, I'm not going to talk your ear off, just move, come, move somewhere, and I think it might renew your hope, and, uh, and so we maybe join with Nathaniel in this journey, and we start by moving toward Jesus. And, and what Nathaniel experienced, by the way, when he came into contact with Jesus, not just heard about him, but actually encountered Jesus, Jesus looked at him, and the first thing he said was a, this affirming. So we get this cynical guy, and the first thing Jesus says is, ah, there's not deceit in you. You're a truthful one. That's what Jesus says when he sees Nathaniel. He says, ah, you're a true Israelite. There's nothing deceitful in you. So he affirms the honesty of the guy, which I love, because that, that's affirming to us too. And then he says, and, and Nathaniel's like, yo, you don't know me. And Jesus is like, oh, I do. And he says, I saw you when you were studying under the fig tree, which is its own sermon because that was a phrase that was often used uh, to, to talk about exploring the scriptures. So we don't know if he was actually sitting in a tree, under a tree alone or if he was somehow exploring the scriptures and searching them. But either way, Jesus says, I saw you and nobody else was around. And all of a sudden, Nathaniel's filled with wonder. He's filled with wonder at this story that's unfolding that does not fit in his box. And there's fresh hope, and he begins to believe in a new way. And so, so it's this beautiful, fun story. So we're also invited to come and see even the Christmas story with fresh eyes and to, and to place ourselves in the moments of it, not simply dissect it, not just think about it, but place ourselves in it and allow the wonder of the story to take root. Because wonder is one of the greatest dissolving agents of cynicism. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to put uh, fresh wonder here, okay? Because if we want to think about the things that help us move beyond cynicism, fresh wonder is one of them. Uh, in, now, in coming to the story with fresh wonder, again, it does not mean that we deny the pain and the frustration of our longings and our unfulfilled longings and our disappointments. Uh, but we allow ourselves, again, to be reminded that God's ways are unique and that God's ways are different. Um, my wife's cousin uh, is a pastor, and just this week she wrote a poem that I think embodies, like three days ago, embodies this so beautifully about holding wonder and honesty together. And I asked her if I could share it, and she was very gracious with me. And I just want you to, uh, to hear this. It's called, uh, I Don't Want an Infant. I don't want an infant. Sleep, cry, eat, and fill their diapers is all they do. How can an infant save? How can a baby make right this messed up world? I would rather have a medical researcher to discover the cures we need to live and thrive. Beat these diseases that waste us away. I want another Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela to lead us into a more just and peaceful future. I want a military general or maybe a superhero to subdue the violent enemy and rid the world of terror. I want a president, a king, who calls us to a better version of ourselves and legislates what's right and good. Despite what makes sense, 
You come as an infant, helpless, demanding, dependent. Months before you would even crawl, let alone do any saving. I do not understand. I'm not sure I want to. Why not an engineer to develop safe, beautiful infrastructure? To rebuild cities made rubble by war, earthquakes, and storms? Or an inventor to make the systems and the models that will carry us long into the future? I want an environmental scientist to find a way to reverse the damage we've brought to this beautiful earth. I want a detective, a lawyer, a judge to find the criminals and put them away, to defend victims and advocate for survivors. Aren't these the saviors we need? Yet you defy expectation. Your ways are higher and we are left waiting for this infant to grow up and do something about waste and war and pain everywhere. We bleed and you learn how to smile. We die and you learn to crawl. We grieve and you speak your first words. I don't want an infant, but this infant is you. This infant is you. Now some of you might think that that's a rather cynical poem. I don't think so. I think it's a poem that cries out for the fact that something in this is wonder-full. And even if we don't fully understand it, there is wonder in the fact that God's unique way of working doesn't always match what we would want. It didn't at the time, and it often doesn't now. But that doesn't mean it's not good and beautiful and even best. Everybody wanted Jesus to come in and overthrow the Romans. Literally, he had to leave a crowd because, quote, they intended to make him king by force. That's like the ideal, right? He didn't even have to, like, have an election. They were just going to force him up there, and he's going to take control. This is what Jesus pushed against because there was something about the way of God that required vulnerability, that required hope, that required wonder, that required waiting, and that somehow dissolved all of the cynicism. Because how... How can you look at a baby and not have at least some amount of wonder? So, yeah. So a story like that, it defies our logic about what works. A story like Jesus defies our logic about what power is, about how the world has changed, even if it's a little uncomfortable and disorienting. This is the upside-down kingdom of a baby king, baby savior, a fragile and vulnerable God with us. So it fills us with wonder as we again walk into this unique story that think about the moments of wonder where God comes to an unwed common girl whose voice is magnified in the book of Luke while a career priest is muted for nine months. That's a pastor being forced to shut their mouth for months on end. I want to talk about being filled with wonder. I know. It's like, I can't say that. Shepherds, right, playing host to the announcements from heaven, stars appearing in the sky to give an invitation. All of this, Mary, giving birth to the child of God. The story of a people tired and worn down, told that they are going to be rescued, but the king doesn't look like they expect. All of this is a way of wonder. 
God's ways of working, if we allow ourselves to continue to move, to come and see, to explore, they shift us back into some element of wonder. At least, I think that's what God's desire is. A person like me, I can think my way right through faith so easily. Like, I love dwelling up here. I love studying. I like books and classes and everything like that. But, but there is something that is missed when everything is about perfect understandings and not about trusting even, what's the word I'm looking for, um, even uh, innocent experiences. There's something missing until we let God speak to us back in that way. Um, why is Elf one of the most beloved holiday movies that people love to watch? If you hear Will Ferrell interviewed about the movie Elf and its success, he will say this, and he's t- said it in so many interviews. He will say, I'm here hopping across in New York City, hopping across painted lines on the, on the road, on the crosswalk, and I'm thinking, this might be it for me. Right? I'm thinking, this is, this is the end. Like, he had just gotten done with some, like, really raunchy comedy, and he's like, I think this is it. I think this is the end of my career. And, and they say, but why wasn't it? And one of the things that he said is he said, he said that, you cannot approach this movie and get through it without putting your cynicism aside because Buddy refuses to give in to cynicism. And, and by the end, the, this idea that the, the world doesn't work like that, right? He's told over and over again. I'm assuming most of you have seen this film. Um, but he's told over and over again, the world doesn't work like this. You think everybody can be your friend, right? You, you think people can just forgive and move on. You know, you live in this make-believe world where people have lives and they have schedules and they have responsibilities and it's hard. And the interesting thing is that he actually doesn't ever deny any of those things. He just has a different outlook. And eventually, he wins people over, right? He, He makes people believe that it's possible to bring out the best. He makes people believe that it's possible to live according to a completely different set of rules than the way the rest of the world works. And it's beautiful and it's literally wonderful, right? So we might start by saying, like his father did when he meets him. You know, nothing good can come from whatever tiny possibilities of hope arrived. Whatever, whatever glimpses of that would be a nice world, we have nothing to really hold on to, no reason to really hold on to that. But in God's surprising world, you might just end up surprised, and you might just find that there's good and there's beauty in all of the things that you think are beyond redemption if we walk into them with our eyes on Jesus. So, Rediscovering wonder, first step toward a hope stronger than cynicism. So that's one piece. And then there's a second piece that I think is incredibly beautiful and helpful, and we see it in all of these stories. And that is that the story of God does not end with come and see. The story of encountering Jesus doesn't end with just everybody having this nice little huddle, this holy huddle around the baby, and just like singing for the rest of the life, like forever. What ends up starting with come and see even with the disciples of Jesus, quickly shifts to go and do, right? So come and see, come and experience the love of Jesus. But before you know it, Jesus is like sending people out and disciples are becoming apostles really fast. It doesn't take that long for them to realize this is a part, yeah, come and meet with me, experience my love, but now you're going to go out and you're going to be my agents of love in the world and redemption in the world. And so, so it's so important 
to, to notice that all the stories about people coming to Jesus, almost all of them end with people going out and living and expressing that living hope in the world. So we don't just sit back and live in hope, right? We step forward and we live out hope. The hope of a God who has come to redeem the earth. So when we look at things and when we feel hopeless, when the world feels like all of its priorities, everything is messed up, when injustice seems insurmountable and selfishness and consumption and unkindness and hate all seem to have the upper hand, we can either withdraw and say, I'm glad I have my hope in Jesus. Not a bad thing for a time. Or we can choose to take the hope that we have internally that God is at work to bring goodness and decide to partner in that work. And here's the thing that happens when we do that. So, so the second way that Jesus helps us through cynicism is by, um, by active compassion. So it's really interesting. If we look and we say the world is messed up, the world has lost its ability to be kind. Guess what? When you choose to be kind, you regain the world's ability to be kind. When you choose to act for justice in a world that writes people off if they're not at the center of society, then all of a sudden you begin to change society. So we actually add hope into the world by living it out. So if we feel hopeless, it sounds funny, and this was mentioned the first week, if you notice, during our catchbox time. A bunch of people said, one of the ways that we like deal with despair is that we have to, like, act our way into it, the opposite. We just start acting in hopeful ways, and hope often follows. That doesn't mean being fake, but it means having conviction that we're going to lead and we're going to be something different. If the world looks ugly, then we begin to make the world look more beautiful because we've been empowered by the Spirit of Christ. And so it, it's not as easy as it sounds to just say this type of thing. But this is not sentimentalism and it's not optimism. We're talking about biblical hope. So we don't look at the world with eyes that refuse to see what's wrong or that just try to like pretend and imagine the best outcomes. Biblical hope, literally, the word itself, there's two Hebrew words and one Greek word, they, they are all point to a choice based on God's past faithfulness, God's character, that helps us live into God's future work in partnership with us. So, um, it actively waits for God's future outcome, and in the meantime, it embodies God's future right now. Um, it believes that God wants to liberate all the time, this sort of hope. So then what are we going to do with our lives? We are going to work for liberation, for the freedom, for those who are oppressed, for compassion to those who have been dealt a rotten hand in life and who have experienced suffering. Kindness to those who have never been treated with respect and dignity grace to those who have messed up, including ourselves. It's all of these things. This is what we do. Um, so we hold on to wonder at God's ongoing love, and we choose compassionate action in the meantime. And that, I believe, is, is a, a, a hope that is beyond crippling cynicism on one side or empty optimism on the other. Um, the word that I like, I've just been playing with it, might not stick, I made it up, um, this phrase, I didn't make up the word, but the phrase I'm thinking about, um, I'm calling enacted hopefulism. Enacted hopefulism. So, hopefulism. Um, so, enacted hopefulism is not just 
having a good attitude. It's acting in the way that we want the world, that, that Jesus desires the world to look and be, even though we're not there yet, okay, in our little spheres. Um, it's a deep, deep, deep hope, but we're doing something with it, living in it and living it out. Um, and, and that's, yeah, it's, it's wonder and action, it's grace and labor all combined together. So when we ex- begin to experience God's hope, in our own spirits, we gain the capacity to look at the world with hope as well. If we've been changed by God, if we're coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, shape me, I need you to build something new in me, and we actually experience little moments of growth, then we begin to believe that the world can change too. We begin the world to see that the world can, can transform and be transformed. If God can transform me, God can transform everything. That's kind of a, a very Paul, Apostle Paul kind of an attitude. If, if God can work with me, I'm the worst, then surely God can heal a broken world, and I'm going to partner with it. There's the poem, this poem called The Work of Christmas, composed by Howard Thurman, um, a brilliant African-American theologian, educator, and civil rights leader. <coughs> and here's, <coughs> excuse me, here's what the poem, how the poem reads. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, When the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. There's beauty in a vision that is filled with wonder at God's coming to us, but then filled with conviction and hope that we are going to be part of God's redeeming action in the world. And sometimes we don't, because we have spent so much time as a church focused on healing. (laughs) Like when people talk to me about Life Path, um, one of the things I said is, you know what I never expected 12 years ago? I never expected that we would be such a healing church. And I don't mean that like physical, miraculous healings of bodies. What I mean is spirits and lives that have been pretty deeply wounded and broken down, part of our calling as a church has become to be a a sacred space for things to heal, for people to hopefully grow in in their hope that God's church is still beautiful, even though they've seen all the brokenness, that people are still trustworthy, even though they've been betrayed. All of these these things, this is a part of our, our journey of healing. But here's the thing, like so many things, There's two sides to that. And sometimes we can go so deeply into the, I need to just have my space to heal here, that we just kind of stay here forever. And so we come and see, and we see a beautiful God and a beautiful Jesus, but we forget that that's part of the journey. And even while we are healing and being healed, we are also being drawn out to be agents of healing in the world by Jesus. And so there's a both and. So, so sometimes we forget that God's calling is to really be missionaries out there even as we are being met fully and truly and beautifully. And during the last two or three years when, when COVID just destroyed things and, and elections just turned people against each other and you just name it, it was really, really rough. People needed a lot of healing. Me too. I still do, man. I really still feel like I need a lot of healing. But at the exact same time, sometimes I think we might be missing the fact that we're supposed to be agents of hope out there because we're experiencing, even if it's tiny, healing. We're experiencing healing. So we're intended to take that 
Scriptures call it agents of God's reconciliation. Ambassadors of reconciliation. You can't be an ambassador if you're living in your own country. You have to step out. And so, so this, is, this is the experience of, of moving somewhere new. So it starts with wonder and hope internally, and it then moves to outside action. We've been uh, exploring a spiritual each week um, that, uh, that kind of inspires us and teaches us that's written by enslaved peoples or formerly enslaved peoples years and years ago, instructing us about hope. And there's a song that I think really embodies, or I felt this week embodies, enacted hopefulism. And, uh, and it's known by many names. Um, one of the names is Lay Down My Burdens. One of the names is Down by the Riverside. One of the names is Study War No More. Same song. Um, and, uh, and what this song does is it looks to a day when freedom is coming. It looks to a day where, where there is hope for me. I am going to lay down my burdens. Right? But there's also this understanding that that means I'm going to live differently as a result in the world. I'm not going to study war. I ain't going to study war no more. There's a way that the world works. And because I'm experiencing and moving toward liberation, part of that liberation is going to look like me no longer living according to the rules and the ways of the world. Um, the, there's the, the riverside is this baptism imagery, right? Um, likely referring to two things. Number one is the, well, not number one, but one of them is the River Jordan, right? Which was the final passage for the Hebrews before they reached the promised land. Uh, but, but as in many other spirituals, the words were understood to be coded language likely as well, pointing to eventual escape from slavery with the river representing the Ohio River, which was the dividing line between enslaving states and the freedom of non-enslaving states. And so, so, but part of this, this transformation, right, is, is this overall, this, this hope of when I reach this, going to put on that long white robe, right, my labor is going to cease. A white robe is a symbol of baptism, but it's also, it's, it's not working clothes. And so there's this beauty, but over and over again, I'm going to lay down my sword and shield. There's a difference in the way that I'm going to live because I want this to be the new world. That the freedom, liberation for me means liberation for everybody. And so there's beauty and there's depth in something. By the way, this idea of, um, of the vision of uh, study war no more comes from Isaiah 2.4. Um, and it's talking about God's heart. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. It's a vision that God has for the world, which is really crazy because at the time of Isaiah, you got the Persians coming in on one side and the Babylonians from the other. And all you could think about was we are about to be annihilated. We need to get ready for battle. I hope God comes and, and, and helps us out in the same way that the old battles, the old stories that we tell happened of our patriarchs. And the vision here is one day what God's ultimate heart is is going to look so different than this. This way of violence that you think is the only way. This, this, and it's not just, I think for us, a, a phrase like study war no more is intended to remind us that as Christians, as people who've been transformed by Jesus, we have this calling to live according to a completely different set of rules. And so we begin to do that. And, and here's, the, here's the thing that I love about this whole story. All right. Um, it was a labor song where each person in a, a field could 
bring their own verse, right? So if you look up versions of, um, of this song, you know, uh, you'll find so many different verses. There's no original verses. I mean, there are, but it's just been added, and who knows who added them. So there's, I'm going to put on that long white robe. I'm going to talk with the Prince of Peace down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield. And it just, there's all of these things, and it continues to add. I could have put 25 more verses here because everybody adds their own inspiration. And that's how we get to end this morning. All right? Um, this is like not a Christmas message on like Christmas Sunday, I'm sorry. Uh, but I just, it's, it's a hopeful message. Um, so what we're going to do in just a minute, we're going to play two versions. We're going to give you about eight minutes, and we're going to play two versions of this song, okay? Um, the first version, I just found them both beautiful, and we needed about eight to nine minutes to do it. So real practical, folks. Um, but the first one is uh, a collective of voices from around the world that were put together by an organization called Playing for a Change that uses music to promote collective good. And it features a musician named Grandpa Elliot. And Grandpa Elliot uh, was a longtime street musician in New Orleans uh, where he played his harmonica and sang at the exact same corner for nearly seven decades. All right? Brilliant musician, famous locally, you know, in the French Quarter. Um, but uh, so, so he has since passed away um, in 2017. But, uh, but this features his deep you can feel the, the words in his bones as he, as he leads us through it. Um, and then the second is an arrangement uh, created and performed by vocal artist uh, Cynthia Liggins Thomas. Both versions are just kind of infused with hope of God's redemption and the ability to envision God's better world and live in it. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to curb your cynicism for a little bit this week. I want you to doubt all the things you doubt just for a week. Doubt all the things that you doubt and lean into the, the story fresh with wonder, okay? And believe in some new ways and see what hope begins to emerge when you do, all right? What would it look like to walk through the world this week with a deep conviction that God has come and that God will do something beautiful and that you have a part to play? Um, what would it look like for you to live this week as if you are joining in God's work to bring a new world right here in the midst of the old one? What would it look like to believe that you are a part of building God's new world with everything that you do? So, here's what happens. I mentioned, and Dwayne and I were talking about this earlier, we, we so often talk about like the church is like a hospital like a safe place to heal. But it's also intended to be kind of a, a huddle, like a, in a sports analogy, right, where you get together and you talk about what, what we're about to do and then you go out and do it, right? I'm fully aware that I'm giving this imagery while I do not know what's happening in the World Cup and I really appreciate nobody telling me. Um, but uh, but this, is, this is what we do. We come together and we say, yes, let's, let's circle up. Let's think about how we can be a beautiful presence of the hands and feet of Jesus in our world, and then let's go, and in our tiny, tiny little slice of influence, we change the world. Maybe we just change the world in this, in this space and in our neighborhoods. Maybe we change the world in a little slice of southeastern India. Maybe we change the world in a correctional facility in the middle of Colorado 
where Sabrina's at right now. Maybe we change the world in the way that you relate to your coworker or your sibling that you have a rough relationship with or your neighbor or your spouse. But how are we going to do it? What do we long to see that we're going to be a part of helping to accomplish? So we're going to create an art piece, all right? Um, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, the, the hope that we have, right, is that the church can be a change agent in the world. So when everyone looks around and says, it's just so broken, we say, yeah, but we're going to help try to fix things tiny little way, all right? So we can't do that without action, right? So what we're going to do is we have this, um, this canvas right here, and it has the word hope painted on it. You'll see it in a moment because we're going to invite you up here. Um, it has the word hope painted on it, and then there's all these Sharpies on the outside, all right? All the way around. You can access it on all sides. All right. And then over here, we have a whole bunch of paint, all right? And, um, and so what we're going to do um, is, while music plays, we're going to invite you to come to Jesus in a fresh way again. And by the way, we're going to start in sharing communion because every time that you walk forward, unless you just don't think about it at all, you're embracing an act of wonder, Right? Or we believe that we're receiving the spirit of Christ in a fresh way by taking the body, the representative body and blood of Jesus into our, our lives. Receiving Jesus and then it becomes strength within us to go and live it out. It's exactly what we're doing here. Fresh wonder becomes active compassion at the table. So, once you do that, and if you haven't been here since we've been using a center table, you could just come down the center aisles and kind of snake here. You'll see two people standing right here facing outward each so you come and you'll uh, take a, a piece of the, the bread and then you can dip it and move this way. But instead of going back to your seats, we're going to invite you to come out here, all right? And so what I want you to do is two things, and you can choose not to do one of them if, if you so choose, but you're invited to do both. And so in a symbolic gesture of the fact that we have a role to play in creating hope with our, with our hands and feet, I'm going to invite you to just take one of these brushes, keep it here, and am I going to need to use my hand anymore? All right, let's do it. Um, well, you know what? No, let me tell you the order. The first thing, if you choose, I want you to take a marker and write a word or phrase to finish the sentence, I hope for, okay? Very simple, I hope for. But here's the thing, you're not allowed to write anything that you hope for that you're not willing to personally play a role in creating. I hope for compassion to be the norm. Maybe it's broad. I hope for fresh kindness. Maybe it's specific. I hope for children without homes to have homes. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Don't write it down here unless you're willing to somehow play a role. Okay? So I want you, this is enacted hopefulism. We are remembering what is God's vision for the world, and we're saying I'm committed to at least in some way living it out, okay? So write that down around the outside edges, whatever phrase or word I hope for. You don't have to write I hope for. Just write what you would finish that sentence with, okay? Write it around the outside in any direction, okay? And then over here, we're going to invite you to just put some paint on your hand, 
right, like that. It won't be dripping because you don't need that much. And then to come over and starting right beside the letters, put your handprint down. And, and what I want you to do is don't just put it anywhere. Put your handprint in some way that once we get it around the word hope, that interlocks and connects with somebody else because we're not out here doing this on our own, okay? So make sure it's touching another handprint. At the beginning, the first four or five of you, you can just make sure it's in here in the middle so we get some seed hands. Um, and then some way, make sure they're overlapping just a little bit and they'll spread out. So we're going to have words around the outside and phrases and we're going to have our handprints here as we remember that we have this calling to both... Um, to both receive God's hope and embody it by being the hands and feet of Jesus in whatever ways that we can. Does that make sense? Okay, you don't have to do any of this, but I'm inviting you to. It's a shared collective experience. And if you don't have anything to write that you can't think of, that's fine. Just come and add your handprint. Um, and we'll try to make as much space as we can. When you're done, um, you can wash your hands later in the bathroom. But if you just want to um, rinse it a little bit, and we're just going to absolutely destroy these towels. And then you can just wipe your hand off a little bit um, on one of the towels. Okay? And then you're at least good until you, until you can be more formal about it all. So, yes. Uh, do we have two people who are serving? Great. Thanks, Kaysen and Dwayne. Um, so we're going to use this imagery of I hope for. And we'll have about, about eight or nine minutes. Um, and if we go beyond the songs and it's... Silent. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of joy in this music, okay? Like, there's, it's not, like, deeply reflective. So it's going to be a different feel for a little bit, all right? So we can have fun, be hopeful about a better future, right? And, and add your, uh, your own actions, dreams, hopes, handprints here. Make sense? All right. So let me see if there's anything that I missed. All right. By the way, this is proof that God's hope comes into the world through imperfect people. And that God wants to work with imperfect people to bring about his kingdom. All right? We embrace the beauty of all of that. All right. So as the music begins, feel free to come to receive the beauty of communion of the, of the body and blood of Christ given for you. And to let that motivate you and inspire you to be an agent of hope in the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to lay down my burden Down by the riverside Down by that river Down by that riverside Gonna lay down my burden down by that riverside, study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. Study war no more. Study war no more. No more. I ain't gonna study war no more. Study war no more, study war no more. Lay down my pool and shield, down by the riverside.
Down my burdens Down by the rivers Oh, way down Down by the rivers Yes, way down Down by the rivers I'm gonna lay down my burdens Oh, yeah Down by the rivers And I ain't gonna study No, no Down my sword and shield, yeah. Down by the riverside. Oh, way down. Down by the riverside. Oh, way down. Down by the riverside. I'm gonna put down my sword and shield, yeah, yeah. Down by the riverside. And I ain't gonna study. study. 